This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Signs of progress in Abbotsford. The evacuation order being rescinded for properties north of Highway 1. Farmers getting back on their feet. You can probably go home in a couple days, it looks like. And an aerial view of why there's a long way to go to open transportation corridors. Stranded between broken highways. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed that the river could do that much damage. The duo documenting the struggle to survive in the washout zone. And a new weather warning system. We have some testing to do to make sure that is actually ready. How it would help us prepare for the next atmospheric river. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. After days of around-the-clock construction work, the breaches and the damaged dike on the Sumas River have now been temporarily sealed and the flood water on Sumas Prairie is dropping. It's definitely helping, but hundreds of homes and farms are still inaccessible. Romina Dea joins us now. And Romina, some good news today, obviously, but there's still a lot of concern about the future. Chris, many residents and farmers are nervous because intense rain is coming Thursday. It's in the forecast. But a break in the weather over the past few days has meant significant progress on the busted dike. Crews moving mountains to get the work done. The major dike breach on the Sumas River now sealed. Are you working 24 hours a day? 24 hours a day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trucks moving rock around the clock since Friday. 400 truckloads every 24 hours. This is a critical piece of repair that needs to take place. With all of these efforts, we saw water levels drop on the Sumas Lake bottom a total of seven inches since the dike breach was sealed yesterday. Thousands of livestock perished, but thousands more survived, thanks to farmers and neighbors who came to the rescue. The community came together, like, they've been amazing, right? Like, we had 10 cattle trucks show up here within two hours. A daunting cleanup lies ahead for dairy farmer Dwayne DeYoung, who didn't lose even one of his 250 cows. When the water started coming up in the drains, like on the driveway and stuff, then we just started chasing cows out. You can see the debris line here on the feeders. This is how high the water rose, three feet in just an hour. Water levels have dropped significantly over the last week. The de Jong family hopeful that they can get their operation back up and running in a few days. Well, if the water goes down and then we're able to get the everything fixed up. so Yeah, we got about a foot to go and then... We should be able to clean up and fire up again, so. So it's looking hopeful. It's hopeful, yeah. 
Now, more positive news. The evacuation order has been rescinded for properties north of Highway 1 between Sumas Way and Whatcom Road and businesses directly east of Whatcom Road. But most of Sumas Prairie is still under evacuation order. 20,000 acres is still underwater, so it's still a critical situation out here. Chris, Sophie? It sure is. Okay, Ramina Dea in Abbotsford Forest tonight. Thanks, Ramina. And an unprecedented warning from Environment Canada today that southwestern BC is definitely not out of the woods when it comes to the weather forecast. Ted Trinecki has the latest and the difference between Canada and the U.S. when it comes to forecasting extreme events like atmospheric rivers. After last week's deadly slides, Environment Canada today held an unprecedented technical briefing for the next so-called atmospheric river that could hit southwest BC Thursday. We've had an extraordinary fall to date. Uh, the numbers just just can't don't lie. The statistics are incredible. Uh, and then the events themselves as well. So as we go forward, uh, we want everybody to have a sense of what uh, might exacerbate what the conditions that are currently there. Imagine a river in the sky with more than twice the water of the Amazon. Americans seem far ahead of us about these atmospheric rivers. Their aircraft fly hundreds of kilometers out into the Pacific, drop probes into the atmosphere to measure intensity. They even have a rating system of one to five, like they do for hurricanes and tornadoes. Not in Canada. We're really in the middle of that conversation. So although we don't have a release time for when that's going to be socialized uh, publicly, uh, we have some testing to do to make sure that is actually ready for that type of prime time. From what I've been told is that that will be coming, um, looking to be implemented at the, uh, the beginning of uh, January 2022. True, it's tricky to predict exactly where an atmospheric river will run, but it might be nice to know there is a real danger in a general area. If they had done that in this case, there would have probably been a lot of people who would have stayed home rather than uh, hit the roads and put themselves in, in danger as they did ultimately. Some believe the days of simply issuing a rainfall warning are numbered. Storms today are stronger, last longer, and lives depend on better information, better communicated. We are facing a changed world. and um, I just had originally thought that it would play out a little more slowly, that we would see the impacts of this scale you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, not this year. This is, I think, a shock to a lot of scientists, you know, that actually uh, climate change is now. Ted Chernicki, Global News. Is it ever? Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the active weather later this week and what we should be expecting. Christy. Sophie, so tonight we are expecting another 10 to 20 millimeters of rain for the Fraser Valley as this cold front moves through. But it's really starting late Wednesday that we're expecting a parade of storm, the active weather to start up with two atmospheric rivers on deck first. Now, they're not expected to be as strong as the one that we saw that devastated the region. Here's the reason why. We are going to see a push in late Wednesday targeting the central coast first, then the hose of that atmospheric river targeting the south coast on Thursday, freezing levels will climb. We have more snow in the mountains, so there is concern for significant snow melt. As well, the current terrain is still vulnerable. The good news is this system, it looks like it'll drop south of our region on Friday, meaning the impact for our area, the south coast, will only be about 24 hours, far less than the 48 hours that we've seen in past atmospheric rivers. We've got another one on deck into the weekend. Sophie, I'll have the timeline of that one when I come back. 
Keep in mind as well, this is still days away, so keep tuning back in every day for more updates on these atmospheric rivers. All right, Christy, we'll talk to you later. So they're making some progress, but there's still no word on when the biggest and most important highway in B.C. will be completely reopened. Grace Key has the latest on the massive job of getting the Trans-Canada up and running again. From the air, you can see parts of Highway 1 are still underwater between Abbotsford and Chilliwack. The stretch from Cole Road to Yale Road is flooded, and there's no timeline on when it'll be back open. Some 6,500 vehicles from Mission, Chilliwack and Abbotsford commute every day into Metro Vancouver. And now many of them are rerouting to Highway 7. With one lane of traffic in each direction, the line of cars stretch for several kilometres around Mission. People say the commute has been a nightmare. I'm going to Langley. Langley? Yes, that's too far. Uh, one hour and 45 minutes. How long does it normally take you? Uh, 30 minutes. It's awful. We live in Derosh and I've never seen it ever like this. How long do you think it'll take you total now? Probably about an hour and a half, I'd say, at least. With all your dogs? With all the dogs. They're, they're all happy, <laughs> though. got food and water. <laughs> ridiculous. Even the locals had problems. Just headed down to my son's uh, elementary school down the road here. Never seen it like this before. Can't wait for the roads to be open again. It's just traffic everywhere, right? On the south side of Highway 1, drivers had to work around another closure. Mountain Road west of Cultus Lake Road has been closed since early Monday morning. The slope is being stabilized, a culvert installed, and roads repaired after a recent landslide. It sucks. <laughs> Tell us about it. I went from, so I, I live in Chilliwack, but I work in Aldergrove. So I had to go the back way. And it was a nightmare. Going there, I left at 5 in the morning. It was about an hour and a half. Coming back, nightmare. How long? Three hours. How long does it normally take you? Well, I would normally go with number one, and it would be 40 minutes. As for Highway 7, drivers are going to have to remain patient until there's a better timeline for the reopening of Highway 1. Grace Key, Global News. Well, Highway 3 between Sunshine Valley and Manning Park is now open to single lane alternating traffic after a mudslide came down earlier today. This happened in an area about seven kilometers east of Manning Park. Major delays are expected and this area is only open for essential travel with crews working in the area. It is an indication of just how unstable highways around B.C. continue to be as repair work goes on. And as floodwaters recede in some areas of Princeton, another problem is emerging during the cleanup efforts. Residents are racing to clean and dry their homes before the temperatures drop, and garbage is piling up in the streets. Some communities are still dealing with water that's unsafe to drink or has been shut off altogether. The mayor is now calling for the military to come help in this community. Everybody's working as fast as they can because we're trying to get this done before December so we don't freeze up because when it drops to minus 20, we're going to be in a mess. Some neighbors have been going door to door to help with cleanup efforts as the community bands together over fears outside help is not coming fast enough. A glimmer of hope tonight for residents of Merritt, who've all been out of their homes since the storm hit. The city is about to allow some people to return. But as Kylie Stanton reports, even those who can go home will be returning to a sobering new reality. 
With waters receding, the damage is revealed. Asphalt buckled, roads wiped out, but many homes still intact. Some better off than others. Ours is good. Um, we're we're very uh, very lucky where we are. We are high spot. I, I think we okay. Yeah. This is a look at the city of Merritt, one week since mass flooding hit the area, compromising the wastewater treatment plant and forcing the evacuation of 7,000 residents. Bringing Meritonians home has been our first priority. And progress is being made. There's been uh, significant work done on the water treatment plant, um, that it is up uh, and will be able to be online. There's significant work taking place around the water safety issue uh, in terms of when people can go back. The city has also completed its rapid damage assessments, where all properties have been given a placard indicating its status. Green means there are no restrictions for use or entry. Yellow is restricted entry that may include use of designated portions of the property or a requirement to complete repairs before use. And red means a building is deemed unsafe and should not be entered. Three phases of the return to home plan have been identified. The first, living in the area shown here in yellow, can come back as of Tuesday at noon. That's roughly a quarter of the city's residents. The rest will have to continue to be patient. We should continue continue flushing the drinking water lines in, in additional sections of the city and we'll have more news to come as soon as we possibly can. But only limited critical infrastructure is up and running. Wastewater can't be processed. The city will be preserving water supply for the fire service. There is no hospital and there will be a boil water status in effect for the foreseeable future. So there are a lot of um, things that we will not be able to deliver at this time. Because of this, officials are stressing residents should not return until they get the go-ahead, no matter how difficult it's been to stay away. We can't help yet. You know, our time is coming, but my hat's off to those men and women who are, are working hard. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A BC woman driving a lemon she hasn't been able to trust since she bought it and how some are calling for better protection for customers like her. They absolutely don't care that they've uh, produced something that's faulty and defective. What's wrong with the Ford Focus she purchased brand new and why she pretty quickly realized it was a major mistake? Next on the News Hour. The road is gone. So we're stuck here until somebody finds us. A landowner and her horses trapped near Spence's Bridge. How an off-duty officer and some good luck led to a one-of-a-kind rescue coming up on the news hour. And the unexpected hurdle facing UBC grads. How universities around the province are teaming up to make sure they're dressed up for their big day. That's later. Right now, though, a car owner's nightmare with a major auto manufacturer with a, her nightmare with... An auto manufacturer is renewing calls for better consumer protection laws in this province and right across the country. After going through a class action lawsuit, the B.C. resident says there needs to be a lemon law. With more on her case, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Sophie. Wendy Huber owns a Ford Focus. She's been told she'll be getting some compensation from the Canada-wide class action settlement that was reached with Ford. But for her, it doesn't go far enough. She says she's now left with a vehicle that's been a disappointment from the very beginning. There, oh there, left-hand turn, shutter. 
When Wendy Huber purchased her 2014 Ford Focus, this is not the vehicle experience she had hoped for. After driving it off the lot brand new, Wendy says eight months later, her car was in the shop. All I know is when I drive it, it makes horrible shuddering uh, motions and it loses power. At issue, the PowerShift dual clutch transmission. It's alleged a design defect in the dual clutch causes drivers to experience everything from stopping, jerking, and delayed acceleration. Wendy says she's had to replace her dual clutch eight times. Nobody seems to feel that they're responsible for a defective car. And I mean, it's, the, it's defective. The part is defective. In May of 2019, a Canadian court approved a class action settlement against Ford Motor Company over the dual clutch transmission in Ford Focus 2012 to 2016 models and Ford Fiesta 2011 to 2016 models purchased or leased in Canada. Ford has denied it engaged in any wrongdoing. Part of that settlement, the potential for current owners to be at least partially refunded for what they paid for the vehicle. Wendy says she's been told she'll receive over $6,000 in compensation. She purchased the vehicle for just over $21,000. That would allow me to replace that clutch at my own expense twice, two and a half times, um, and then the money would be gone. I can't replace my car for that much money. Wendy can still keep her Ford Focus, which now has over 136,000 kilometers, and she can sell the vehicle if she chooses. But she says for her, that's not an option. I don't see it ever being fixed. And in good conscience, I couldn't do that. I would never sell that car. It's a situation that has consumer advocates demanding change. While Canada does have CAMVAP, a program that allows disputes between consumers and vehicle manufacturers to be resolved through binding arbitration, the Nonprofit Automobile Protection Association says the program should be revamped. But you do one with teeth. You do one that where your likelihood if the vehicle is really bad in the first, say, three years, it gets bought back. Wendy would also like to see tougher consumer laws for vehicle owners, now left with a Ford car she says she can't depend on. They absolutely don't care that they've uh, produced something that's faulty and defective. Um, it's, it's out of their hands, it's my problem, and I think that's a horrible way to do business. Now, as far as the class action settlement goes, if you are impacted, you can still submit a claim. Compensation is being administered by a company called Rice Point. Claim information and a claim form can be found on that company's website. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Coming up, documenting the Coquihalla disaster. We don't want to get too close to this edge here their first-hand account of what they're witnessing living right next to the broken roadway. And how long you'll have to deal with gas rationing and why a grandmother was fined nearly $6,000 coming back through the Canadian border. Still slow for southbound traffic here at the Patello Bridge after clearing an earlier crash at the north end. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The images have been pretty stunning. Huge chunks of Highway 5 simply washed away. And behind those images, a handful of properties now cut off from civilization. They've had a front row view of the disaster along the Coquihalla River as it happened. Aaron MacArthur has the story. Huge trees ripped out, 
by their roots. Cars floated away like they were nothing more than playthings. A motorhome inundated by water, destroyed in a matter of seconds. People in the RV had to abandon it. They ended up actually chaining it to a tree a couple hours later and the whole RV was gone. The river had taken it away. You could see where the chain was wrapped around the tree. It had broken the chain right off. We're here, we got Jeremiah Stebrel has been documenting the damage from last week's floods. His home just off the Coquihalla, cut off from the north by a washout at Carolyn Mine Road. Bridge is gone. Cut off from the south by another one at Sawakwa Creek. Just had this come down. Until crews fixed the road, his family is hunkering down and waiting it out. We're, we're, we're doing our YouTube channel, Stebros, but we're, we're, just, we're just documenting it for our fun and, and we realize that people are actually really enjoying it and actually having somebody on the ground. During the storm, it was obvious this was no ordinary rain event, but it was only after the skies cleared that anyone realized the scope of the destruction. I'm thinking about it now, and if I, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed that the river could do that much damage. Hey! Since the river went back down, you guys stuck here? Strebel has continued to roll with his cameras, talking to people trapped along the side of the road. There are hundreds of vehicles still on the highway, everyone airlifted to safety. There have been offers to fly his family out too, but he's turned those down. The property they live on didn't suffer any lasting damage, and they're mostly self-sufficient. Oh yeah, yeah, we're actually, we're quite fine. We have supplies, we, we did have an airdrop of supplies a couple days ago. With more rain in the forecast this week, Jeremiah says he will be ready to document what he sees. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, BC drivers are again being asked to only take what they need at the gas pumps while restrictions remain in place. And commuters are being asked to drive less and take transit or carpool if you can. Richard Zussman now with how the province is responding to the supply issues. With gas supplies dwindling, help is on the way. From uh, south of the border, I can tell you that there are some barges that are actually on the way uh, to, uh, to get here uh, with fuel. Just one of the places BC is getting help is some gas stations in Metro Vancouver and Victoria ran out of fuel over the weekend. A flurry of drivers racing to the pumps amid a 30-litre maximum. But even under pressure, there's a lot of fuel left. We are confident that there is, uh, there's, there's enough gasoline, that people are doing the right thing. A call from one Vancouver City Councillor for the province to get more creative than just rationing supplies. Free public transit would be one way that we can uh, get people out of their cars um, and, uh, and conserve that fuel for those who need it. Drivers also have been told they have the option to head south to fill up. The federal government publicly announcing an exemption from the negative PCR requirement to return home. People in border communities can also head south to pick up essentials without taking a PCR test upon re-entry. And when I say essentials, I mean food and fuel. I don't mean family trips or Black Friday shopping expeditions. But it doesn't seem like CBSA got the memo. Marlene Jones says she went across the border this morning, returned and was told this. CBSA uh, issued me a $5,700 fine because they said I was returning without the mandatory P PCR test. The South Surrey woman says the border official at the Pacific Crossing 
told her that she was one of nine people before 8 a.m. that received a fine. She's clearly disputing the ticket. And I said, well, no, it's been changed. And they said, not according to us, it hasn't. As the border issue still needs sorting, the domestic gas supply is expecting some additional help. Trans Mountain has completed its full assessment of its line and hopes to turn the taps back by the end of the week. CP Rail also expecting to be open sooner than planned, now expecting mid-Tuesday, bolstering the ability to move more than just gas. CP Rail will be uh, hugely beneficial uh, to the efficient movement of goods and reattaching our supply chains. Two and three containers coming out of the port of Vancouver, for example, uh, use uh, the rail system. And also helped by air. Air Canada announcing Monday it's increasing cargo capacity into BC. Good news in a time where that's hard to come by. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the cross-border ticket controversy. Keith, in some <laughs> cases, mistakes may have been made. Uh, you spoke to Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth about this. Yeah, a bit of confusion yesterday and today. Some people getting ticketed and pretty hefty fines as well, up to 5,700. But we're not having a PSA a test, PCR test coming back, uh, as is the new rule. If you go down to get gas and, and essential supplies, you don't need the test. But some people were doing that and still getting ticketed because they didn't have the test. We forwarded the complaints, and we got a number of them to, to uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. He did issue a statement saying it is my understanding that in some instances, British Columbians may have been erroneously ticketed while traveling for valid and essential reasons such as accessing fuel and food. He went on to say that he was going to immediately contact his counterpart, Bill Blair, in Ottawa to rectify this. And sure enough, I just talked to, we just talked to uh, Global News Ottawa Bureau, just talked to a senior government official in Ottawa who says, acknowledges the Canadian Border Services Agency have had new instructions today. Uh, the rules were misapplied the last couple of days and officers now know the, the facts. So again, the good news is here for Marlene and others who have been ticketed, you'll soon get word you don't have to pay these tickets. The Public Health Agency of Canada will not be collecting them. So this was all an error, all a misunderstanding, all a communications mix-up. And the good news is the border guards now know the facts. That is a relief. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Communication. Lines of communications, not always perfect, right? Coming up, favorite places gone forever. Sometimes you have to say, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. Without cruise ships, conventions, or crowds, how this downtown business, and many others like it, are at the end of their rope. And UBC scrambles to find a key part of the graduation wardrobe for its students. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Energy at work. Two separate problems here on the east-west connector. The first is a minor rear-ender eastbound right near number 8 road. And then just before that, there's a brand new rear-ender uh, just before 8 road as well. So double trouble on the east-west connector through Richmond. Take the Massey Tunnel instead. 
through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital. When you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above two crashes on the east-west connector in Richmond. Vancouver police are investigating a violent fight in Yaletown on Sunday night in which five people were stabbed. It happened around 8.30 near Davie and Mainland between two groups of intoxicated men who officers say came to Vancouver to party. At least five people were seriously hurt, requiring hospitalization. And it is possible there are more injuries that haven't been reported. This level of violence, this kind of violence in such a, a densely populated area is extremely concern, concerning and unnerving to, to us. Uh, we are investigating at this point. We don't believe that uh, there's an ongoing public safety risk. Uh, we believe we know who the people are responsible are and we're continuing to investigate. All five victims are from Surrey and Langley. The two suspects are men in their 30s who have been identified but are not currently in custody. In Health Matters tonight, we have three days of COVID-19 numbers to share with you. 1,052 new cases and just over 3,100 active cases. 337 people are in hospital. 115 of those patients is in the ICU. There have been 10 more deaths due to complications of the virus. And 87.3% of all eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, stop and start COVID-19 restrictions have been especially tough on B.C. restaurants and pubs, which also relied on landlords to eat part of the rent to qualify for government help. Many are riding out the pandemic, but some favorites are gone forever. Kristen Robinson has the first in a four-part series on the casualties of COVID. After an almost 10-year run, Emil Malik is pulling a final shift at his Bellagio Convention Center cafe. Sometimes you have to say, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. Reliant on subsidies since COVID hit, the tables are empty. And he knows his restaurant is on borrowed time. There is no cruise ships, no tourists, and no conventions. At the height of the summer pre-pandemic, Malik employed up to 35 staff. It's sad, you go from $22,000 a day to 200, 500, how can you make any money? In May of last year, Holy Crab was also forced to shut down. The Louisiana-inspired seafood restaurant, which amassed a loyal following in its three years on Robson, says it fell victim to a landlord who refused to participate in the government's rent relief program. I feel like what small businesses like mine um, really need in this time is um, some sort of a break. Personally, I've gone millions of dollars into debt this year. It's been an uphill battle, but Jeff Donnelly is slowly reopening his 17 neighborhood pubs. No one expected it to go as long as it did. In mid-March last year, the Donnelly Group closed all its establishments, not knowing when or if they would reopen. At the time, the independent business had over 1,000 employees. More than 900 were laid off. When we were closed down and in the heat of the pandemic, the government just said every dollar that you get goes directly to your landlords. You're going to see a lot of casualties, a lot of casualties. The popular Blackbird Public House in Vancouver's financial district was one of them. This is a year and a half later, so it's a lot easier to talk about. Donnelly was set to renew the lease when he too says the landlord decided not to apply for the rent subsidy. They asked us to pay 
the rent, which we just decided was unfair. Yeah, it was a really tough one. It was it was one of my one of my favorite places. With 60% of his workforce back, Donnelly feels fortunate he has the ingredients to carry on. We had to go into our life savings. Some other people might have lost their life savings. The Metropole pub blamed its September 2020 closure on COVID liquor rules. If you cut our sales by half with these original restrictions and again cut that by more than half, we're, we're, we're just bleeding out. If the subsidy stops, you will see 50% of the restaurants industry in BC going belly up. After surrendering his lease, Malik is walking away to focus on his other Bellagio on Hornby, thankful he has few debts. We can't blame anybody but the coronavirus, and you know, coronavirus is not going away. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The BC Hotel Association says its members have also been hit hard by the loss of international travel, conferences and tours. While 16 hotels pivoted to quarantine Canadian travellers returning home, several thousand rooms around the province have been closed since the beginning of the pandemic. More than 1,500 rooms were snapped up by the province on a hotel buying spree. BC Housing purchasing 21 hotels and motels and three SROs since March of 2020 to house those experiencing homelessness at a cost of $380.7 million, while other properties like Vancouver's Trump International Hotel did not survive. There has been uh, uh, several hotels and several, uh, as a description, is understating that number. Uh, either change hands, be repurposed, or close due to financial constraints and bankruptcies, such as the Trump Tower, for example. And coming up tomorrow on the Casualties of COVID series, we will take a look at some of the local stories lost, local stores lost, I should mm -hmm. say. And still ahead on this program, horses airlifted to safety. Totally like, wow, they did it. They got them out. How a group of strangers came to the rescue just in time for ranchers overrun by floodwaters. Here's the Wines of British Columbia question of the day. Ice wine requires more grapes than a regular bottle of wine. How many more grapes are needed to make a bottle of ice wine? A. Three times more grapes. B. Six times more grapes. C. Ten times more grapes. Stay tuned after the break for the answer. The answer for the Wines of British Columbia question of the day is B. Ice wines require up to six times more grapes than regular BC wine. Well, everyone involved admits it was a minor problem during this flood crisis, but it has provided a rare bit of good news during these troubled times. UBC had a problem for its first in-person graduation ceremony since 2019, scheduled to begin on Tuesday. The shipment of its 2,500 caps, gowns and hoods got caught up in those road closures, stranded somewhere east of Hope. To the rescue, other post-secondary institutions. The University of Victoria that lent us uh, gowns for us to uh, proceed with our ceremonies. Um, we've met with other colleges and universities such as Douglas, BCIT, um, UVic, uh, CAPU, uh, uh, Emily Carr, Langara, that they've also um, helped out with hats and you know helping us with regalia and stuff for students. 
The UBC ceremonies run over four days. The 600 gowns from UVic will be washed every night and reused by the grads the next day. They will be able to keep their mortarboards. Sharing is caring. That's right. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a more detailed look at our forecast and what's to come in the next couple of days. Christy. Thanks so much, Soph. I just want to start things off with a quick look at the one warning that we have in place, which is for uh, the BC Peace River area. Winds expected to gust up to about 80 kilometers an hour this evening, but that will die down overnight. But certainly power outages are possible. Uh, more so, let's look at the rainfall that we're expecting still. 10 to 20 millimeters expected overnight and through the morning hours for the Fraser Valley. Really, it's going to ease off through the morning hours, but the chance of showers lingers into the afternoon, even though are in even into the afternoon hours for the Fraser Valley. Then, the next on deck, as we talked about late Wednesday into Thursday, the first of two atmospheric rivers targets the south coast. That's what we're going to see on Thursday. Heavy rain along with windy conditions. It is likely only going to impact us for 24 hours. That is good news. Tune in for more details as to how much. The next system, late Saturday, that will impact us not only late Saturday but through Sunday and possibly Monday. That one likely impacting the south coast more than the first one. Nonetheless, any kind of moisture right now is not good news for areas across the south coast or southern BC. In the meantime, there's your Thursday. So flurries changing to showers for inland regions for the south coast, a mostly dry day, although we are going to see showers into tomorrow morning, but they'll ease through the morning hours. Uh, Wednesday, not looking too bad. It's late Wednesday that we're going to see the rain develop with the heaviest rain of the first of two atmospheric rivers expected on Thursday. Tonight's central windows weather window for you. Looking out from Burnaby towards, you can see Mount Baker there. Today's sunrise. Thank you to Nikhil for that one. Beautiful shot. You know what they say, red skies in the morning, sailors take a warning. And of course, we're dealing with a cold front right now. Wet and windy expected overnight. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. All right. We'll check in quickly with Squire and what's coming up in sports. All right. Uh, among the uh, Canucks who are in goal scoring droughts right now is JT Miller. You know, first, I mean, I don't think I'm playing that great right now, to be honest with you. No goals in his last four games, but that's actually not bad when you compare it to some other Canucks. Also tonight, proof horseshoes are lucky. The timely rescue that saved a family and their small herd from the flood. Fire's here now. Time for a little getaway, I think, for the Canucks. They'll get five. Five <laughs> games. Starting Wednesday in Pittsburgh. Um, it's been... Uh, Quite a ride recently for the Canucks' highest-paid players. The goal-scoring drought is startling for Vancouver Stars. You can't have as many zeros on the score sheet as you do on your contract. You're not going to win that way. When it comes to goals or lack of same, Elias Pettersson, nothing in his last six games. Brock Besser, no goals in his last seven. Bo Horvat, nothing in his last seven. No assists either. J.T. Miller, no goals in his last four, which really is not as bad as the others. But he believes he's the one who needs to be the catalyst. He's the guy who should jumpstart the rest. Offensively, I mean, I, don't, I feel like I have a whole other gear to get to. And I think I could help this team a lot more. I don't mean being flashier, but I just I don't feel 100% there with my game right now. And I think if I get there, it's going to help my line mates. Um, I don't think I'm creating that much 5-on-5. Five five, and that's it's frustrating for me. Um, you know, I know I have more. I feel like I'm a leader on this team and I need to be better. And uh, I think a lot of onus is on me in that regard. It looks bad right now, but the Canucks still have a chance to turn their season around and make the playoffs like the Whitecaps did. But the BC Lions took the opposite route. 
They started pretty well, and then they fell apart. They will not be in the CFL playoffs, which, as we've said before, is a league where it's actually harder to miss the playoffs than to make them. After not playing last season because of COVID, the Lions could not get rid of the smell from their bad 2019 season, where they also missed the playoffs. It's so disappointing because in 2019, it felt like a bad team. In 2021, it felt like a good team and we just couldn't figure it out. The BC Lions better figure it out because back-to-back 5-1 seasons void of any playoff action two years running is a tough sell at BC Place. The Lions may have beaten the Edmonton Elks 43-10 in their season finale, but this is a club that only managed two victories against teams with a 500 record or better. There's no question we need to get better, but I think if we we can add a a few proven performers, um, I think it can swing us in the right direction. Improving the pass rush is a must for the Lions. BC's virtually non-existent as the Leos ranked dead last when it came to sacks. This was a young Lions defense that learned on the job this season, one that truly turned into a school of hard knocks. Ended up being uh, maturity, um, you know, overall, lack of, lack of veteran leadership um, from a defensive standpoint. But there's nothing worse than the regret of getting serious too late. You know, um, and that that stung hard and that that kind of defined this year for us, you know. Then there's the status of Michael Riley. Despite a wonky throwing arm, the 36-year-old quarterback led the CFL in passing. He's BC's highest paid player and is scheduled to make in excess of 700 grand next year. Do you bring him back or will he even be back? Two years ago, before we brought him in, he wanted to sit down with his family to discuss the future. So I don't want to speculate anything because um, it, it's it's unfair to all of us because I'm not sure what um, what the future holds. There are some depressing teams in this area. The Seahawks are now three and seven after losing again yesterday. Seattle coach Pete Carroll actually gave a really short press conference after the game, which is unusual for him. He felt bad about it. Then he came back later to talk to reporters again, and he said he admits this losing is messing him up. I'm just not any good at this, you know. I, I'm not prepared for this. This is not this. I, I'm I'm struggling to uh, to do a good job of you know coaching when you when, when you get your butt kicked in, in week in and week out. I'm just disappointed that I got to keep coming back in here and talk about the same stuff and don't feel like I have good answers for you uh, because our answers so far have not turned it. And uh, so that's that's why I said I thought I was really clear about it. It starts with me. I've got to get this done. LeBron James has been suspended one game and Detroit's Isaiah Stewart two games for what happened last night. There is some bloodshed in this video, so be forewarned. Here is what happened. During a free throw, LeBron and Stewart get tangled up, and you can see right there LeBron throws throws a bit of an arm at Stewart, but it caused damage, a lot of damage. They take their hands off. He may go go after him again. And eventually, Stewart, who's bleeding pretty badly, actually, Wants a shot at LeBron, and here he comes. But luckily, there were enough bodies between him and LeBron, and they didn't really get into it. They were both tossed. Uh, LeBron will lose 200, and I think about $54,000 in this suspension. Stewart will lose 45000 There you go. All right, thanks for that, Squire. Just ahead, hit them up, move them out. The airlift rodeo to save some horses from flooding. Next.
Another amazing story of survival from the B.C. floods. A family and their three horses left high and dry by a washout. Luckily, they were spotted by a passing helicopter. And as Imadagahi shows us, that kicked off a rescue operation that brought a lot of strangers together. I'm in surreal right now. I can hardly get back to my house. There is a lot that Kim Cardinal lost in the floods, and at times it seemed like she would lose everything because that is her house, struggling to stand last Monday through the aftermath of the storm. This is going to be hard. I didn't care about the house. Lauren's driving the truck through the water to get the dogs. Her property is along the now-destroyed Highway 8, close to the community of Spence's Bridge, a highway with large sections now missing, dragged away by the surging waters of the Nicola River. Our whole driveway, our whole property just went, oof, it was gone. And that all was in a matter of probably seven minutes. Kim and her husband, Lauren, managed to drag some of their animals and their truck onto a section of what used to be highway. By this time, they had been joined by an off-duty police officer who was also stranded. Throughout that walk, I was walking, you know, over uh, portions of road that were completely gone. I was climbing over portions of the hill to where the road was completely gone. There was large boulders and stones coming down the hill. There was power lines getting knocked down. I saw people on the side of the road trying to salvage stuff from their house. My husband put his arm around me and he said if we die, we're going to be together, Kim, and this will be together. A fire kept them warm through the night and acted as a desperate SOS signal. By morning, a TELUS helicopter spotted them. More help was soon on the way. Winter just getting all hooked up here. And thanks to fast action and a heroic and first-of-its-kind effort in B.C. to airlift a horse to safety, the animals were not left behind. These animals wouldn't have lasted, and they would have had a slow, painful death if they had to sit there for the winter. So I decided that it had to get done, and we might as well tackle it. Their horse, Winter, and two ponies are being looked after in Kamloops. But there are many other animals the Cardinals lost in the flood. Their family shaken, but thankful to be alive. You know, I'm here. I'm so thank you that I'm here. Emadagahi, Global News. So many incredible stories. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And uh, we do have more weather on the way, too. Last word to Christy. So again tonight, we're expecting another 10 to 20 millimeters for the Fraser Valley region, but it's late Wednesday that we're going to see the first of the two atmospheric rivers. So make sure you keep staying tuned. You bet. Okay, thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night. Good night, all.